You are listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. With self-discipline and lifestyle accommodations, cognitive enhancement through exercise, diet, sleep, and learning is available without restriction to most individuals. The availability of cognitive enhancement through medication is currently only available with a prescription and usually restricted to those with diagnosable conditions. But there is a movement afoot to permit the use of medications for cognitive enhancement by otherwise healthy individuals. What do you think about cognitive enhancing drugs for the healthy? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Stanford, California, is Mr. Henry Greeley, Professor of Law and Director of the Center for Law and the Biosciences at Stanford University. Welcome, Mr. Greeley. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Mr. Greeley, you and six of your colleagues recently wrote a commentary piece for Nature where you argue in favor of cognitive enhancement for the healthy. Exactly what kind of improvements in functioning can medication offer? Well, first, I think it's important to note that the title of our piece was Toward Responsible Use of Cognitive Enhancement. So we're not arguing in favor of full-blown use of cognitive-enhancing pharmaceuticals, but responsible use of them. Right now, the main cognitive-enhancing drugs that are available tend to be stimulants, drugs like Adderall and Ritalin, widely prescribed for attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Modafinil, also known as Provigil, which is prescribed to help people with various sleep disorders stay alert and awake when they need to. And of course, there are a number of substances that are not prescription and not generally thought of as medications that are widely used, like the caffeine that I've been imbibing all morning. Right. You point out in your article that medications that help with focus are already in demand with students, and medications that help with memory will surely be in demand with the aging population. What role do you think that demand has played and will play in the decision-making process of those in authority who would determine who has access? Unless people are interested in using cognitive enhancers, it's not going to be a policy question. But we already know that they are. We know that students at the high school and college and graduate level throughout the United States are using Adderall and Ritalin, sometimes from their own prescription, but often from prescriptions of friends or dorm mates or sources in their dorm who sell them these drugs for purposes of studying for tests and exams. We know that professionals, physicians, academics, and others are using modafinil to fight off sleepiness in various situations, such as while taking night call or when attending a conference after a long red-eye flight. So we know that there's a demand already for the existing drugs, which are relatively limited in their functions, and at least with respect to Adderall and Ritalin, come with some very significant risks. Should a memory pill be developed, I think the demand for that would be enormous. Now, whether you call it treatment or enhancement, If it's used for aging baby boomers whose memory is not what it once was, is I think an interesting semantic question, but one way or the other, I think the demand for that would be huge, and it's the existence of that demand that then makes it an important policy question. What do we do about people's desire to use these drugs? And I'd like to ask, do you think that just because there is demand, and certainly because in the example of students that you gave, that people are using these medications, even if it's not been prescribed to them, 
Should that be a consideration when considering policy? The mere fact that something's demanded doesn't mean that we should supply it or allow it to be supplied. Our paper really had two different themes. The first was enhancement shouldn't be a dirty word. There's nothing inherently wrong or immoral with people trying to improve their functioning, even if that improvement is done through pharmaceuticals. I'm in the enhancement business. I'm a teacher. It's my job to try to make my students' brains work better. I don't think there's a moral difference between enhancement through education, through good nutrition, through a good night's sleep, or if a safe and effective pharmaceutical were available, enhancement through that pharmaceutical. On the other hand, and this is why our article called for responsible use of cognitive enhancers, there are some real issues associated with pharmacological enhancement. We stressed three, safety, fairness, and coercion. The safety issue we think is quite important. Adderall and Ritalin are not inherently safe drugs. They have some significant side effects. For a drug like that, it may well be that the appropriate measure, the appropriate action is to keep it on prescription. And limited, the appropriate response may be to keep it a prescription drug and limited to people with illnesses such that the potential benefits from the drug outweigh its potential risks. But not all pharmacological enhancers have or will have that kind of side effect profile. We do think that there's a great shortage of research into the effects, both the safety and the efficacy of potential enhancing drugs when they're used not for medical purposes, but for enhancement purposes. The FDA approves a drug as safe and effective, but it approves it as safe and effective for a particular use. Often there's very little, if any, research on whether it's safe and effective for other non-treatment, non-therapeutic uses. A major thrust of our perspective, a major thrust of our commentary was to call for increased research on the safety and efficacy of cognitive enhancing drugs, both the ones that exist now and the ones that will come into existence in the future. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Mr. Henry Greeley, professor of law at Stanford University. Mr. Greeley, what promise do you think that uh, more widespread use of cognitive enhancing drugs by healthy individuals would have for those individuals and for society? Well, a lot of that depends on what the drugs are and how useful and effective they are. I think many people would find their lives much enhanced if their memories were better, particularly people who are aging and are discovering that their memories are declining with time, often, speaking from personal experience, often find it frustrating that they don't seem to be able to remember students' names as well as they did in the past. We have humans are marvelously adaptive creatures, and we have strategies for coping with memory declines. But if there were a pharmaceutical that could restore or improve memory, I think the potential benefits to the individuals involved, both in their productivity and their workplace productivity, but also in their personal satisfaction and their in their happiness with their lives and themselves, would be substantial. With regard to fairness that you mentioned in your commentary, if giving cognitive-enhancing drugs to healthy individuals became usual and accepted, how could society realistically make certain that people were not coerced into taking them, perhaps workers for increased productivity, and, and certainly children to help them compete academically? Well, we see the fairness issues 
the issues of fairness and the issues of coercion, though connected, as being somewhat separate. So questions of fairness arise in terms of fairness as between people who are taking enhancers and people who aren't taking enhancers. It's important to notice that this is an issue today. This is an issue completely ignored, but it's an issue in the college campuses today where some students are studying with Adderall and Ritalin, some students are studying with double espressos, and some students are studying without any of them. We have no policies in place. We haven't given this any significant thought. To the extent that fairness is a real concern, there are a number of different alternatives. The one to which we are drawn immediately, the sort of knee-jerk alternative, is ban it for everybody. But there are other possibilities. One could be to make it available for everybody. One could be to make it widely available or accessible, but have people note whether they're using it or not. So you could grade on two different curves, for example. The banning is not the only way to deal with fairness kinds of issues. Well, if it's prescribed right now for those who are at a disadvantage, it seems to be about leveling the playing field for those who have a disorder or a diagnosis. And if it were then made available for healthy individuals, wouldn't it, again, put those people at a disadvantage? The long-run effects of enhancers on the levelness of a playing field is something that will depend a lot on how the particular enhancer works. One could imagine drugs that help bring everybody up to a particular level versus drugs that improve everyone 50% from their pre-existing level. Those have very different implications in terms of whether they level the playing field or not. At this point, we really don't know very much about how the existing drugs, let alone the drugs that have yet to be developed, will work on healthy people, whether they will move everyone toward a more even higher position or whether they will continue or even exacerbate the differences in ability that currently exist. That's a very important area for further research. And you've addressed the fairness a bit. Can you talk to us about your opinion and your colleagues' opinion about the issue of coercion or people feeling that they, if other healthy individuals are taking these enhancements, that they also must? Along with safety and fairness, coercion was the third big issue we see in responsible use of cognitive enhancers. And it really breaks down into a couple of different categories. One issue is frank coercion. Stanford University can tell me that I have to go to certain training seminars. Should Stanford University be able to tell me that I have to take certain cognitive-enhancing pills? That's a question I think our society needs to address. My own preference would be for us to restrict coercive use by employers and others or coercion by employers or others to use drugs. But that's a social issue and a policy issue that we need to deal with that we haven't even begun to think about yet. Coercion shows up in another aspect, and I think in some respects in the trickiest aspect, in the parent-child relationship. We don't often think about it this way, and I'm a parent myself, and I know I didn't generally think of it that way. But what parents do with small children is, in a sense, always coercive, in the sense that the child doesn't really have the ability to make an informed, fair decision for him or herself about whether to go to piano lessons, about whether to take golf lessons, about whether to study a foreign language at an early age, about whether to do educational programs on the computer instead of watching cartoons on TV. 
But on the other hand, our society in general has a pretty hands-off perspective with respect to parental decisions about child-rearing. So I think that's going to be a very difficult area for us to cope with. Note, though, that they're not new issues. Parents are doing things and sometimes overdo things and pushing children too hard in ways. This raises that same set of issues in a slightly different area. If these medications are given to healthy individuals in a more usual way, then if a patient comes to a physician with their child and they request that their healthy child receive these medications, where will that leave the clinical judgment? Will the doctor be obliged to give these medications because the patient's parent has asked for them? I think the doctor still needs to make a judgment based on safety and efficacy on whether this is an appropriate intervention for this person. And the fact that it's an enhancing intervention rather than a therapeutic intervention, that you're dealing with a healthy person rather than a non-healthy person, doesn't ultimately change the clinical judgment about whether the potential benefits outweigh the potential risks. It puts them in a somewhat different context but that basic decision still has to be there for the physician to uphold his or her own professional duty to try to do no harm and to benefit the patient. But the decision would no longer be made on diagnosis. It would just be based on judgment. You'd still want to worry about the risks to the patient of the medication versus the potential benefits to the patient of the medication. Vaccinations are essentially enhancements. They're immune system enhancers. You give them to healthy people. You give them based in part on your assessment of the risks and the benefits with respect to the class of healthy people in general. And if there's anything peculiar about this particular patient, such as, say, an egg allergy that makes a yellow fever vaccine uh, inappropriate, you modify that decision based on the relevant individual circumstances of the patient. You're still making a clinical judgment about risks and benefits. We probably have hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of healthy people in the United States right now taking Adderall and Ritalin without a prescription. We don't have a clue what the long-term health effects are on those people, or we have very little more than the wildest clue. Studying those effects has important public health consequences. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Mr. Henry Greeley. Thank you, Mr. Greeley. My pleasure. You've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.